there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, and you're very welcome to the Europe Politics podcast from RT News. I'm David Murphy. So it's 100 years since the end of the Civil War, almost to the day, and Fine Gael and Fine Fáil went into coalition in June 2020, something that was absolutely unthinkable decades ago. And it's all been going swimmingly until three Fine Gael ministers for state penned an article for the Irish Independent this week suggesting a thousand euro in tax cuts would be a good idea in the budget, somewhat undermining the role of the Fine Fáil finance minister, Michael McGrath. And now for the first time, we've got ripples of tension within the coalition, or is it actually just a manufactured row which serves to dis distinguish the two parties who are getting increasingly concerned at the close relationship between one another in the eyes of the voters? So to unpack a little bit of this, I'm joined by... I don't like that word, unpack. You don't like unpack. Michal like Lahan does not like unpack. It, it's or a podcasty word. You it's know, you hear it in other podcasts, okay. but not on this one. Sandra Hurley doesn't like it either. And Circa, you don't like unpack? I don't really have a problem with it. Let's unpack. <laughs> <laughs> unpack we will. On holiday. That's it. That should be kept to that. Yeah. Okay, Michal Lahan. Okay. Uh, don't unpack it, but tell us what's actually going on. Well, I think there is anger. The anger was fairly real at, at one point for a number of reasons. One, that Fine Gael went very early on this. One, that there was a very precise figure used, €1,000 per average worker. And the other reason is that one of the people who was involved in writing that article was Jennifer Carl McNeil, who was a junior minister at the Department of Finance. And of course, within those walls, the budget should be uh, moulded fairly delicately over the next few months. And I suppose across government for the last number of years, when it comes to things like this, there has been a degree of diplomacy and working behind closed doors. And it is indeed that call to work behind closed doors that the Green Party leader is talking about the need for today, saying that's where it has to happen uh, or else the balance won't be, won't be got right. I thought what was interesting was, though, initially this didn't seem to send off fireworks, but it, by the time last night came around, the Fianna Fáil leader uh, was really putting down a marker about this, saying that what had been written was undermining, uh, unhelpful, and also saying that he was going to give Michael McGrath the space uh, because he had overall responsibility for the budget process. And that is in many ways, I know when you take sporting analogies with politics, it's clumsy, it's not really funny most of the time, but it does bring to mind Roy Keane standing up to Patrick Vieri on the Highbury Tunnel uh, in 2005 when he felt that his player, uh, Gary Neville, was not being afforded uh, sufficient courtesy and he was going to back him. Michael, Michael McGrath was the Gary Neville in this case, Michal Martin was the Roy Keane. So, Sandra Hurley, to what extent is this actually serving a purpose insofar as it distinguishes Fine Fáil from Fine Gael? Fine Gael is trying to highlight some of its what it sees as its core values in this. Yeah, earlier in the week, I thought it was a little contrived, but certainly Micheál Martin upped the ante last night. I think we're at that point in the life cycle of this government where the 
the two parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, are becoming a little concerned that they are going to be fishing in the same pool, the same part of the electorate uh, in the next general election. And of course, they want to distinguish themselves. That's something that uh, Simon Coveney said on Morning Ireland this morning. So it's part of that. You certainly, it's always the case. Fine Gael at every single Ordesh talks about you know, tax cuts for hard-pressed middle-income earners. So there's nothing terribly new there, but it's about taking ownership, I suppose, of I would expect there to be a big tax package in the in the next budget. We know the money's there. There was quite a big move last year when they went up to the 40,000 mark for the paying the higher rate of tax. They'll do something similar again this year. And I think Fine Gael wants to take ownership of that, something that really uh, annoyed a lot of Fianna Fáil people. And of course, Fianna Fáil people too saying that this reminds them of those early days of the coalition when they felt that the then Thánaiste Lee of Radcliffe would get out well ahead of the Taoiseach. Uh, on frequent occasions. Now, that's been countered by the Fine Gael side, who seem to have a problem, they say now, with Michael McGrath getting ahead of all, some of their ministers when it comes to announcements. Now, Sirka, Michael McGrath is obviously key to this. Normally, it's the job of the finance minister to announce the budget. And he's clearly been, clearly felt somewhat undermined by all of this. Yeah, well, you know, I've spoken to a good few Fianna Fáilers today. Um, I got a few clips with um, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael backbenchers. And, they weren't, the people I spoke to weren't really angry about it at all. You know, they were kind of saying, well, look, we're going to have to speak about this. And the Fianna Fáil guys were using the opportunity to kind of make the point, look, you know, this, it has been in the programme for government that there will be tax cuts. So there's nothing new in this, that Fianna Gael is just trying to draw attention to this to claim it for themselves. And they're saying, look, we want, what we're really interested in doing is providing better services and uh, looking after the poorer in society, I suppose, and making sure that we have proper social welfare increases and so on. So, you know, they were kind of welcoming the fact that the this is out there, that we can now focus these discussions on what could be done in the budget and that everybody should be entitled to make their opinions known and you know, they were kind of poo-pooing it and saying, look, so what if they came out and did it? Now, maybe they're trying to take the sting out of it and say that there isn't a row going on. Obviously, we know that there's huge rivalry between them because, as Sandra says, they're both um, fishing out of the same pool, as you put it, in terms of support and so on. But, um, yeah, for me, it kind of took the sting out of it. And I also think that we're going to be talking about this for the next <laughs> blooming four months. We're going to be this going is, This is it, isn't it, Sandra? They're mm. really, like... Once you start talking about the budget and once the speculation starts, it tends to continue. And uh, there'd be a kind of a concern that perhaps the politicians have peaked too soon on this one. Yeah, they're flying the kites pretty early, aren't they? We, we always expect some kites to be flown before the budget, but this is really a long way out. I think you could detect, though, that the finance minister, Michael McGrath, was pretty annoyed and he's quite understated in how he addresses things. But on primetime earlier this week, he said it was a surprise, it was unusual, it's not part of the process. You know, you haven't got the summer economic statement yet, so you haven't got the exact numbers for the budget. Uh, and I think that's as far as someone like Michael McGrath is going to go. But remember that the next budget is a big moment for him. This is his first budget as finance minister. And I think it was important to people in Fianna Fáil that Michal Martin laid down, as they would see it, a marker last night by saying that Michael McGrath has overall responsibility for the budget. It was interesting as well that he used the B word as in saying that he wouldn't be bullied on this. And quite a few of the people I spoke to today used that that word as well that you know Michael Michael McGrath is his own man and he's going to handle this budget and uh, he won't be bullied into doing anything that any of the other parties wants him to do without there being proper negotiations about it so I thought that was interesting. Yeah. You'd have to think Michael that this 
row could be put to bed in an instant by a meeting of the three party leaders. They usually meet on Monday nights where they simply come out and say, or one of them says, we're all on the same page in the budget. There's no disagreement at all. The coalition is working really smoothly. Yeah, and there's plenty of room to do that when you look at that page 25 of the programme for government where it talks about... I read uh, that any, page all the yeah, time. Yeah, that's the yeah. most important page <laughs> about bans and credits. Any changes mm. would be index linked to earnings so that people wouldn't suddenly find themselves uh, paying the higher rate of tax. So it's kind of the scope is there anyway. I suppose it is that €1,000 figure. It is the fact that that would cost up to £1.3 billion, and that is probably causing some degree of unease because that was the kind of total tax package last time. So if this is going to be delivered, well, then there's going to have to be that plus an awful lot more money made available, which is there, but it is fairly advanced down the road ahead of the summer economic statement. But equally, I think, too, Fianna Fáil will look to that and they will look to those three ministers and they're not, they're influential, prominent people within the party and they're not known for their rogue tendencies. So, I mean, it's fair to assume they were sent out to do it. Uh, and how aware was the Taoiseach of all of this? Well, he was aware, that's confirmed. And they're saying the article was based largely on things he had said anyway. So it had his imprimatur. So, I mean, yes, it can be solved within that leadership meeting. But Leo Varadkar isn't an innocent bystander uh, in this entire controversy. Sandra, isn't this partly down to a much bigger issue which is going to really continue for the government for the rest of its term, which is that they're awash with money. They have a huge surplus. Obviously, they don't know that that money will be popping into the exchequer every year. There's massive pressure on them to use this money wisely and people are calling for all sorts of things, an increase to, for example, the minimum wage, in big increases in services, tax cuts. And this is going to be a real headache for Michael McGrath. Yes, I think so. Uh, this year, I think those expectations are heightened even more than they have been previously. We've got two more budgets before the next general election. There is an expectation that the government is going to find it irresistible. Uh, they are going to do a pretty strong budget of something that you could see perhaps as a giveaway budget. We've seen it before. It's a tried and tested tactic. Hand out the money when you've got it. If you have it, you spend it, as Charlie McCreevy said. And I think that's what they're going to do. And for Eamon Ryan as well, he's managed to cast himself now this afternoon as a peacemaker in all of this. Why is Eamon Ryan more or less calling on the other parties to cool it a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I suppose, you know, it's hard for the Greens being the smaller party, being squeezed by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. You know, we have spent the last couple of days speaking about this and it has been all Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and I suppose the Greens want to make sure they get a look in and get some credit for what comes out of the budget as well. So you can understand why they don't want the next four months to be Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael the whole way and that they don't get a look in. And as you say, you know, Eamon Ryan coming out and saying, look, this has to be negotiated behind closed doors does make him look like the peacemaker and also make sure that the Green Party are mentioned in this debate as well. I suppose the question there, David, or probably one for you is, I mean, what, how influential is the current finance minister's compared to where they were in the past in crafting the budget. I mean, that story goes about Charlie McCreevy just dropping the document into St. Luke's to Bertie Ahern at one point and then taking a little walk around Drumcondra for a while and then coming back just to take it away again. That was the level of control a finance minister had. It does. It seems it is more a conciliatory document these days. Well, it has changed a little bit and in the sense that um, we've got a much better picture of the public finances earlier on. And this is partly because of the strictures that the European Union have put on Ireland, whereby we have our budget earlier. We outline exactly what the picture is going to be with the public finances 
earlier. And to a certain extent, I think there's now more power for the three party leaders uh, than there has been in the past and a little bit less power for the finance minister. It's also worth bearing in mind as well that there was that, shall we say, um, power struggle regarding um, the role uh, within Eurogroup, um, whereby Michael McGrath has a seat on Eurogroup of Pascal Dunne, who has retained the position as chair of Eurogroup. So I think that's part of it as well. And I think in the past, sometimes during the um, crisis years, the financial crisis years, there were all sorts of unpleasant surprises happening at the last moment. And those unpleasant surprises made themselves known first within the Department of Finance then to the Minister for Finance, and then he, and it was a he at the time, obviously, um, was able to put that into the budget. So I think, yeah, you're right. The, the the power of the Minister for Finance for a whole variety of reasons is somewhat diminished. But I guess... One, of one thing I think worth mentioning as well is the attitude of the opposition to all of this. There's kind of a contrast between Labour's Ivana Bacic, who's gone on the attack on this in the Dáil, accusing them of flying kites, saying that they should be doing other things like looking at the minimum wage. But Sinn Féin is really content to sit this one out. There's sort of an, a view there that they're not going to lower themselves in getting involved in what is, you know, a sort of petty jockeying for position as they would see it. And they are really determined. They're, they're just not going to comment on this at all. Well, one interesting thing about having lots of money and whoever come is running the next government will also have lots of money we can tell from the figures they've given is that people may have had the idea with a Sinn Féin led government what would happen is that they would uh, tax the more wealthy people and ensure that there's uh, more money for the less well off but now if we have a Sinn Féin government after the next election they'll be able to provide more money for the less well off without actually increasing taxes on the wealthy. So it actually broadens the appeal of Sinn Féin, the fact that public finances are in such a strong position. Yeah, it does, I suppose. I thought it was interesting, um, that interview that Michael McGrath did, that you spoke to on... Um, on prime time, where he was asked about the budget and Miriam was pushing him on this. Well, you know, if you don't spend all the money you have, are you just going to leave it there for Sinn Féin to spend uh, when they come into office? And he was very determined about, you know, having to be careful with the public finances and you know, being responsible about it and not being able to uh, have a giveaway budget uh, based on the fact that you wouldn't be leaving any money there for Sinn Féin when they come into office. But, um, yeah, it was interesting, that take on it, I suppose. Um, the Taoiseach, yeah, the Parliamentary Party meeting last night for Fine Gael as well, talking about three things they could do with that money, some, bit, some of it for pensions, some of it for public infrastructure, and then the idea that some national debt could be paid down as well and that that will form part of the, the discussions in the next few weeks. Sandra, a totally different topic, um, which is uh, big news in the Doyle today, is around the issue of abortion. So what's happened is that we have a proposed piece of legislation from People Before Profit, uh, which is proposing big changes in relation to the legislation on termination of pregnancy. Can you just explain for us what the background to this story is? Mm -hmm. Well, it's worth noting as well that today is the fifth anniversary of that repeal vote, that referendum when people voted by 66% that margin to repeal the Eighth Amendment and remove that constitutional ban on abortion. And that's also why Breed Smith is introducing this bill today in the Dáil. But there was, as part of the original legislation that brought in uh, more abortions in Ireland, uh, there, was al there always had to be a review of how the legislation was operating and 
uh, after it had been in place for three years. So the government asked a barrister, Marie O'Shea, to look at that. Her report came out a couple of weeks ago and it went pretty far in saying there was a lot of problems with this. There's operational problems where the geographic spread of doctors, access to doctors isn't good enough and uh, not enough maternity hospitals are offering uh, the service also. But she also found other issues. She recommended that the three-day wait period that is currently mandatory for women, that that should be removed and made optional. She said that it also doctors should be decriminalised and there should be a lot clearer uh, definitions around the provision of abortion to make it clear to medical professionals when they could and could or not intervene. So uh, the government, had, what it has decided to do with that part of it, the legislative changes, is ask the Oireachtas Health Committee to look at that. Now, it seems that the Health Committee is going to bring in Mary O'Shea and some of the researchers and maybe have a few sittings, but then send it pretty quickly back to the government so instead, Breed Smith has introduced this bill that she said would introduce most of most of the recommendations recommended by that report. The government, there clearly was has been a bit of a divergence in government on this. Uh, Leo Radker, the Tisha, came out and said he would be reluctant and uncomfortable to go back and make changes so quickly. Uh, Whereas some of the Green Party ministers, people like Catherine Martin and Roger O'Gorman, it's clear that they would be willing to go further. So what the government decided to do is something of a fudge there. They're putting down this 12-month timed amendment, they say, to allow full consideration of the report. But Breed Smith said, this is just, you're kicking it to touch. It's a delay tactic. And that bill is going to be heard, uh, debated in the Dáil today. I think most of the opposition will support Breed Smith, but... Um, Nasa Harrigan, who's already outside the Green Party fold, she lost the whip there over the eviction ban vote. It looks like she's going to support Breed Smith as well. Michal, the government parties, they don't really want this at all, this side of general election, do they? No, I don't think so. And I think what the Thonish was saying in the doll this morning as well would indicate that. And he does seem to still have some degree of expectation that that health committee will take its time and act very slowly. But as Sandra said, every indication coming from that committee is that it could happen quite swiftly. So I think if government are going to continue to move slowly on this, they probably will have further explaining to do at some point, maybe soon after the doll returns in early autumn. Sir, there was a point there made by Micheál Martin earlier in the Doyle, really that the, the state engaged in a huge change in legislation after the referendum and the government he says is going to be cautious about making further changes because it was such a big step that it took. Well I suppose to be fair to him it was such a controversial issue and it still is such a controversial issue and you know what do they say Marion haste repent at leisure you know I do think in a situation like this they have to make sure that any changes they make are examined properly and that they're sure that that's the way to go. And I did I do think he did mention today that they're going to look at um, extending abortion services in the hospitals and trying to make them more available in the hospitals to try and overcome this difficulty about the regional spread and so on. And that maybe if that was done in the meantime, that that would improve the um, services for people around the country. You know, I know one of the arguments that Reed Smith was saying is that people are still having to go abroad in order to get abortions because it's so difficult to get them here. But if the health service were to um, be able to extend the services within the country as it is, well, that might alleviate that problem somewhat. But I, I do think that they should take their time with this, you know, that they should make sure to have, um, you know, to look at every possible outcome of any changes of the legislation because we've seen before in the past how when things are done too quickly that you can make mistakes. The review, Sandra, um, was very clear 
in its recommendations. And the fact that this will return from the Health Committee to the government and the fact that we have this proposed piece of legislation, which is actually quite similar to some of the recommendations in the review. It's a fairly uncomfortable space for the government, isn't it? Yes, and I, I think that's entirely the point. Uh, Breed Smith, who's pushed for liberalising the provision of abortion for a long time, that's exactly what she's trying to do here. Interesting to note, I was talking to Sinn Féin today, they do support this bill going forward to committee stage, but they do f have issues with aspects of it. So again, they would see it as something that needs to be uh, teased out. But I suppose the political reality here is that the government has the numbers. So that the 12-month period, this timed amendment, that that will go through, that will supersede the bill and it will park it really for the next year. Sandra, another story you reported on the other evening was in relation to the Fine Gael exodus of TDs. There was news this week about another TD. Tell us about that. Yes, so David Stanton, a long-time TD in Cork East, announced that he is going to be stepping down. He won't run in the next election. And what makes it particularly interesting is that he is the fifth Fine Gael TD in recent months to say that they won't run again. So there's also Brendan uh, Griffin in Kerry, Joe McEwen, Donny Gall, John Paul Phelan in Carlo Kilkenny. And I'm Michael now... Creed. Michael Creed. Michael Creed, yes, uh, <laughs> is the final one in Cork. Michael Creed, I won't take lectures from Fianna Fáil. On the exactly. He had a great quote at the PP meeting. So it does create a difficulty for Fine Gael. Leo Varadkar, of course, has said that this is to be expected. There's always a turnover at elections, but they do have to get new candidates in place. I think Sinead Shepherd, a longtime councillor in Corkies, she's likely to run there. But there's a big also known for her for being a <laughs> pop icon. Well, almost a pop icon. Yes, she was in a, a TV reality show some years ago. But I think the bigger issue from talking to some TDs is that everyone is waiting for the electoral commission to come back with the boundary reviews. Cork expected to get two extra seats between Cork East, Cork North Central and Cork South Central. So that will dictate a lot of how all this goes as well. Michal, this question of um, five Fine Gael TDs uh, leaving, standing down ahead of the election, how serious is it for the party? It's serious enough because some of them were of an age where traditionally in Leinster House they would be here for a lot longer. So they've obviously taken a look towards the future, you feel, uh, and they've waited up. And they've lost, they've lost their enthusiasm for this particular project. I mean, what does it mean for the leadership of Fine Gael? Well, some of the people who were once deemed to be quite close to, to Leo Varadkar at the parliamentary party level aren't there any longer. I suppose some people are retiring. Uh, there might have been an expectation around around David Stanton, but, but certainly with others, it has been a surprise. And it, it does pose difficulties no matter what the party say. Uh, people close to Leo Varadkar say he's met nearly all the parliamentary party. He's going to have a lot of candidates for the local elections in place before the summer. And they keep using this word renewal. Uh, but of course, renewal, there's an opposite word to that as well. I mean, which, which is decline. I mean, wh which is it? So I think anyone sitting TD who's not there on the starting blocks at the next election, that is more challenging for a party. Sir, because this is just part of the normal life cycle of political parties. Some people decide they want to move on after a period of time. I, I think it is, you know, they've been in government for such a long time and the chances are, well, it'll be very challenging for them to get back into government again next time around. And I suppose some people are looking at that and saying, look, um, I, I don't want to go through this. It, it is a bruising process to have to stand for election. And I suppose they've just made that judgment call that it's not for them. And I'm particularly disturbed about the fact that three of them are Gael goers, which in a party like Fianna Gael, where there aren't many people who speak Irish and we're always in my situation, always trying to get Irish language interviews. And I'm 
very bothered about the fact that Fine Gael are going to lose three Irish language speakers after the next election. So hopefully um, some of their new candidates who come through in the uh, local elections and who are elected next time are bilingual as well. But it's interesting, Sandra, all of this seems to focus on one party, Fine Gael. And we know that in Labour there has been speculation about Brendan Howland. There are other people in other parties who we expect uh, may declare that they're not running. But we'll have to see. But for from the Sinn Féin point of view, they don't seem to have this problem, do they? Yes, but I suppose, and the Taoiseach has made this point, they wouldn't have had the same number of TDs going back to 2011. So if you look at 2011, big Fine Gael surge, Leo Varadkar certainly been trying to argue that this is sort of part of the natural turnover given that people have been elected for a certain length of time whereas Sinn Féin wouldn't have that same history of success at elections but I think it is a problem for Fine Gael. Name recognition is a massive factor when people we know don't really engage with the general election until the campaign uh, kicks off and then they go into the ballot box and sometimes they're just ticking a name of somebody they know. So it's very difficult then to establish a new candidate. Big factor as well in the next general election is that requirement for 40% of the candidates to be female. That means that we would expect most parties to run one man, one woman, uh, at least in most constituencies. And I'm hearing that while the quota system isn't in place, it's not a requirement for the local elections next year. What the parties want to do, of course, is get women to run to get them in place then for the general election. And they're having difficulty persuading candidates to run. It goes into that thing that maybe politics just isn't as attractive anymore. Yeah, because even if you compare it to 2011, when those many, many Fianna Fáil TDs still decided to stand, even though the, the polls were, were indicating uh, that they would lose their seats. They still stood. There is something culturally that has shifted now where people look to the future and they look to the prospect of a place on the opposition benches, perhaps, that that could be a possibility uh, and, and that they're they're just not enthused by that. But one thing that strikes you when you come to Leinster House and you work here as a journalist is how difficult a lifestyle it is, particularly for rural TDs. They've got big journeys. They've got uh, long nights and it is really tough on the work-life balance and some of those rural TDs during COVID for the first time got to spend considerable periods yeah. of time with their families and they woke up one morning and they said actually you know what this isn't Playing bad. Playing at a five-a-side club just isn't what it was. <laughs> that was Brendan Griffin it. wasn't it? Uh, he, I think yeah. he said that he, he spent a lot of time with his family in Kerry which is a pretty long drive and that, that was one of the factors. Now others felt that maybe he, he wasn't happy that he didn't get the chief whip job as well that may have fed into it and the, for Fine Gaelers, I think they're also looking at the fact they've been in government so long. What's the prospect for promotion next time round if perhaps Fine Gael aren't in government? That's an issue too. But there was a lot of talk that time as well about remote working. And, you know, there was a certain amount of being able to sit in on committee meetings and so on from your office or from wherever. Whereas that seems to have it's died fashion, to death now. Yeah. yeah, they just yeah. don't speak about it anymore. Like, at least that would make it a bit more family friendly if you could you know, spend an extra day working from your constituency mm -hmm. rather than having to be travelling to Dublin for three nights a week. They never solved the voting problem. I know there was counter legal opinions with lots of senior councils flying around being commissioned mm -hmm. and trying to work out whether it was constitutional to cast a dull vote when you weren't on the premises in Leinster House. And there was differing views on that. But I think in the end, they decided that you had to be here. And they have spoken a lot about making um, the Dole and the Oireachtas more family friendly, but they haven't succeeded. No, I suppose the block voting on a Wednesday night probably is something that has changed. 
um, and that requirement to stay around until late on a Thursday afternoon and that it gives a degree of certainty rather than votes being called uh, at all different times. That is one of the big changes. But other than that, no. And there definitely is a sense of fatigue within politics. Some TDs will tell you that the fun has just gone out of it. Take Take from that what you want. Okay, well, we'll bring more fun uh, to politics when we talk to you this time next week. So from Micheál Lehan, Sandra Hurley, Sirkini Rida and myself, David Murphy, thanks very much for listening to the podcast. And if you did enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and we'll talk to you again next week.